In early June of this year, Cleveland Water Alliance engaged the environmental science and engineering firm Limnotech to deploy a buoy off the famous Toledo Water Intake Crib in Lake Erie. The buoy carries two in-situ Aquatrol 600 multi-parameter sondes and a ViewLink telemetry device to collect data on dissolved oxygen, PHORP, chlorophyll A, phycocyanin, FDOM, turbidity, conductivity, nitrate, and temperature. Water monitoring solutions provider BioOceanor is using In-Situ's cloud-based platform HydroView to pull that data into its predictive algorithm for harmful algal blooms. The deployment is part of CWA's testbed program, a proving ground for new monitoring technologies to help identify the most effective means of understanding the water in Lake Erie, the other Great Lakes, and beyond, and perhaps avoiding the potentially catastrophic consequences of toxic algal blooms. It's just one of myriad initiatives Cleveland Water Alliance has undertaken, working with public and private sector groups to spur innovation, create jobs, and advance education and research related to water. And how does a small nonprofit decide where to put its attention and resources? As program manager Max Herzog tells us, they look through the lens of opportunity, forming strategic partnerships and leveraging technology to drive economic development and spark innovation around water in Cleveland and beyond. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Aquapod, where we share water monitoring stories from the field. I'm Helen Taylor, content manager with In-Situ. And I'm Carrie Caslow, Institute's Application Development Manager for Surface Water. Our guest today is Max Herzog, Program Manager for the Cleveland Water Alliance. CWA is a nonprofit coalition of research institutions, industry, and utility partners working to leverage technology, encourage innovation, and support economic health to position Northern Ohio as a water tech hub and recognize and promote the value of water in their region and beyond. As an alliance partner, in situ is participating in testbed research projects in Lake Erie, and Carrie and our representative for the region, Andrew Lusenhop, recently took part in the CWA Innovator Showcase webinar series. So we thought it would be a great idea to have Max on to tell us more about this ambitious and forward-thinking organization. So Max, welcome to Aquapod. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. It is great to have you here. Now, I'm going to start by saying I will admit that looking at your engaging website, I was hard-pressed to sum up in a sentence or two what the Cleveland Water Alliance does. Um, I gather that water-related technology is big business. Innovation around understanding and managing water resources abounds. And research and education are essential to public awareness of the value of water and citizen participation in protecting our water. But maybe you can start things out by just kind of orienting us with an overview of the organization and its work. For sure. Um, thanks so much, Helen, for that introduction. I think you did say it well, although you know the multifaceted nature of our work can often be challenging to, to summarize in a sentence for sure. So definitely understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, in a nutshell, uh, Cleveland Water Alliance is a nonprofit economic development agency uh, based in Northeast Ohio, but working across the Lake Erie region. Um, and our work is really focused on building on our region, so the Lake Erie basins, Um, natural assets and resources to create a freshwater innovation ecosystem. Um, So this is an interconnected network of uh, utilities, private sector companies, research institutions, entrepreneurs, and NGOs that work together to harness technology, spur the economy, uh, inform decision makers, and enhance engagement and research across the region. 
So it's really approaching the kind of broad range of areas of work within this sphere of water innovation uh, from a, a twofold lens. On the one hand, trying to uh, think about how new innovations can imp have positive impact on the Lake Erie Basin, how these technologies can actually be applied in our space to address water resource concerns that our communities have. Um, and on the other hand, how can we cultivate the development of these innovations within our region uh, so that we can be developing business and products around um, these areas of impact uh, that can not only uh, have positive effect on our environment, but be sold elsewhere across the world and thus be an economic driver um, for the Lake Erie region. So describe a little bit the Lake Erie Basin and just geographically put us there and also some of the challenges that the region is facing that this multifaceted mission helps address. Yeah, absolutely. So Lake Erie is one of the Laurentian Great Lakes, the, the Great Lakes uh, here in North America, bordering the United States um, and Canada. Uh, this is a tremendous uh, proportion of the world's surface fresh water. Um, and really an incredible one-of-a-kind resource uh, for both countries uh, here in North America. Um, and Lake Erie has a lot of unique aspects to it, even amongst the other Great Lakes. Um, it is a very shallow Great Lake, which means it tends to be warmer, and it makes it the most biodiverse and bioproductive Great Lake, even though it's uh, far from the biggest. Um, however, it also means that it is the most easily impacted um, and, and historically and currently uh, most radically impacted by human activity in terms of its health. So we have a lot of water quality challenges, challenges that are common across the globe, but particularly poignant for us. These are challenges like harmful algal blooms and low oxygen dead zones or hypoxia, um, typically driven by nutrient flows from um, agricultural and animal husbandry communities um, in the Western Basin. So these are annual issues that threaten the ecosystem, uh, threaten um, our sort of tourism and recreation economy, as well as have you know public health and um, uh, public benefit impacts across the region. Um, other issues include uh, things like combined sewer overflow, an issue that's ubiquitous across uh, the Rust Belt region of the United States, where you know large rain events trigger uh, combined output of wastewater and stormwater directly into surface water sources um, when our, our, our wastewater infrastructure is overwhelmed. And these are issues that are being addressed by utilities, but the, the challenges driving them are continuing to worsen um, as climate change, you know, exacerbates the intensity and frequency of intense uh, uh, weather events across the Great Lakes. Um, we're also seeing a lot of uh, weirding and change in our, our, our water levels, uh, both years of record low water levels and record high water levels, uh, which continue to drive issues of shoreline erosion um, that have tremendous impact on both our uh, ecology, and again, on the, the, the tourism, recreation, um, and just property value uh, in, in the region. So there's a lot of different uh, lenses to look at water challenges in the Lake Erie region, um, but the lens that we try and apply is the lens of opportunity. Um, we really, within this region, have 
a tremendous uh, network of businesses, of utilities, of research institutions and community organizations that are developing solutions for these challenges, uh, both um, uh, locally and with collaborators across the globe. And so we really see these issues and, and the fact that these issues are, are in our backyard as an opportunity to develop and implement solutions that can help to solve these problems, not only here, but across the globe, because you know all of these issues are, are issues that, that are not just Lake Erie issues, although they may be poignant here. Um, or maybe two other issues would be those of uh, emerging contaminants. So folks are really thinking more about these contaminants that we know can have impact on human health, but have historically not had you know, EPA limitations on levels within drinking water um, or surface water, things like microplastics, pharmaceuticals, um, PFAS. Um, these are, you know, chemicals that we need to develop new methods for both monitoring and treatment so that we know we can understand what safe levels are, know where, when those levels have been exceeded and know what to do about those things. Um, and then, you know, there's also some legacy issues of, of aging infrastructure and, um, industri uh, you know, rust belt industry, um, which can include, you know, brownfields, which are, uh, you know, driven, can, can drive uh, waterway pollution, again, with these intense rain events, um, but also looking at aging uh, water and wastewater infrastructure and the, the threat that lead pipes can have on our communities. Um, you know, knowing that our drinking water utilities are very responsible in terms of using the proper chemicals to mitigate all risk, um, it is still undeniable that we have a lot of lead pipes in the ground. So we're really interested in figuring out, you know, what are the solutions for identifying where those pipes are um, at the lowest cost possible, um, because we know it is a tremendous burden on utilities and thus on our communities to look at replacing these, these legacy pipes um, and addressing those issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's a full plate. <laughs> that's a lot to sure. contend that's, with. That's a lot. It is. Max, do you think that you could maybe describe some of the, the monitoring solutions that some of these projects are, are kind of using right now to tackle some of these issues? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, monitoring is really core to um, our mission, uh, driving the increased collection of data and increased use of data in decision-making are really fundamental tenets for us. Um, and a lot of our work in this area plugs into our broader work to accelerate innovation within the region. Um, this includes things like activating earlier stage innovations through uh, competitions like the Erie Hack, um, bringing together established innovations to share with the community through uh, public uh, platforms like Water Data Forum, um, and also trying to bring new innovators to the region um, to deliver their solutions. Um, but we also are working to really take that next step in terms of bringing innovations into the field and testing them out to try and validate them. Um, so this includes things like our industry-focused innovation challenges where we partner with an anchor institution uh, to attack a particular innovation challenge. Um, for example, we've partnered with Cleveland Water, our drinking water utility here in Northeast Ohio, on an industry challenge focused on subsurface detection of lead pipes. Um, the goal here is really to identify whether there are technologies out there 
um, that can identify the presence of lead and other metals um, in buried lines without unearthing them um, because there's just tremendous cost involved in that dig. And also um, that's really how we get, uh, you know, uh, heavy metal contamination in water is when those pipes are disturbed. So making sure that we're able to notify folks when there's risk. Um, we're also though working to build out a broader network of test beds for innovative water technologies. And really the lowest hanging fruit here um, is uh, a surface water quality monitoring. Um, you know, there's a tremendous network of researchers and volunteer groups across the region that are conducting uh, water quality monitoring. And so we're partnering with these groups to establish stations where innovators can bring new sensors and test them alongside validated uh, methods uh, to confirm how well their, their new sensor is performing and also get some feedback in the field um, from users on, on how their device uh, is uh, works in terms of usability. Beyond this, you know, we're working to really build out what we call uh, a smart Lake Erie. Um, and this is really trying to apply some of the philosophies and core technologies of the smart cities movement um, and translate them from, um, you know, managing systems like traffic or air quality uh, and, and bringing them into the space of regional surface water management. Um, so thinking about how can we scale uh, the raw number of data points across the region? What are all the different sources um, of heterogeneous data that we can pulling together and, and transforming into actionable information for end users? Um, so within this umbrella of, of the Smart Lake Erie, We've been doing a lot of different things like collaborating with the state's Department of Natural Resources on piloting lower cost Internet of Things style sensors for um, watershed monitoring, particularly with an eye towards monitoring construct constructed wetlands for performance. This has been a really big investment across the state of Ohio. Um, and increasingly across the Lake Erie region to look at constructed wetlands as a potential solution for uh, nutrient pollution. This, this major issue that occurs in the watersheds but drives water quality issues in the open water. Um, and so we've been partnering with the state and with Limnotech to pilot lower cost methods of, of monitoring these, these types of installations. We also partner with utilities and research institutions across the region to actually deploy uh, water quality SONs, um, either on fixed locations or on anchored buoys um, to be monitoring source water, particularly um, for potential contaminants. A lot of utilities in this region since uh, the, the 2014 Toledo water crisis, when harmful algal blooms left the city uh, without access to public clean public drinking water for a few days, um, you know, there's tremendous need to know uh, what is the quality of water and what are the contaminants um, at the intakes and nearby intakes. And so we've been working with these groups to ensure that they have the data that they need to keep our water safe. Um, beyond that, we're also really trying to take this work to the community as much as possible, partnering with volunteer programs across the region that are really doing the on the ground granular water quality monitoring that cities and states are not able to do um, because of their constrained resources. Um, but historically, their data has been under leveraged, underused, and, and frankly considered not credible. Um, and so we're really working with these groups to um, standardize their data collection methods, 
get them together on one data platform so that their data can be aggregated at the regional level um, and really develop um, uh, the documentation needed to prove that what they're doing really is credible, uh, credible science, credible water quality monitoring, so that these data can be considered not just for local decision making, which is obviously the priority for a lot of these groups, um, but also for research and decision making management um, decisions at, at the regional level. So this is um, the uh, citizen uh, yeah. scientist initiative that you're, yes, you're yeah. describing so our, there? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's our program called um, the, the Lake Erie Volunteer Science Network. Um, it's evolved over the last three years or so. And really, you know, it's reaching its peak, I would say now. Um, we've added new groups this year. We now have 14 groups this summer that will be collecting standardized water quality information um, in their local watersheds in Michigan, New York, and Ohio. So were the citizen scientists there and you're, you know, facilitating and help organizing and, 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 and helping them get to the next level? Or have you actually built this coalition? How does that, how has that worked? So a lot of these groups have been doing this work for decades, um, you know, in, in many cases over 20 years, they've been uh, convening volunteers at the local level and monitoring their local water resources. And these groups are convened by a really wide array of organizations from local parks districts and soil water conservation districts um, to water keepers, friends of type nonprofits, um, to even, you know, area-wide coordinating agencies. Um, there's a whole host of groups that convene volunteers to do this kind of work. And so really what we did was raise funds together with them um, from community foundations across the region and create the platform for them to convene and talk about what it would mean for them to collaborate at the regional level. Um, so we've just been sort of, yes, that convener, that coordinator, um, as well as a connection into uh, new innovations. It's really started as a pilot program, kind of uh, dovetailing into our broader network of test beds uh, to test out new water quality monitoring technologies that were of particular interest to these volunteer science groups. So looking at what are lower cost, easier to use methods for monitoring things like nutrients or harmful algal bloom toxins that these groups are really, really interested in being able to, um, you know, gather those data and gather them at low cost. So kind of going along with the innovation there and maybe maybe kind of sort of taking a step back and thinking about the Smart Lake Erie initiative a little bit more, how do partners like In-Situ and other organizations really factor into the work that you guys are doing? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And, um, you know, with, with a great organization like In-Situ, there's a whole host of ways to um, be collaborating with us and plugging into um, this broader network of innovations. And I would say first and foremost, it's really around developing innovation, right? At the end of the day, we at Cleveland Water Alliance aren't out there building sensors. Um, we aren't even out there in the field testing sensors. We're out here trying to connect all of these different groups to facilitate these opportunities and accelerate innovations. So we really rely on um, innovative companies like In-Situ to be bringing us the next generation of sensors, the next generation of lower cost, higher frequency uh, sensors that monitor new parameters um, so that we can be creating the context for, um, in which to test and accelerate them. You know, this is not just working with private sector companies, but also working with research groups um, and, and non-incorporated entrepreneurs, folks that are scrappy and just trying to 
uh, cut their teeth um, in this area of innovation. Uh, but there's also opportunities for larger companies, um, as well as you know, utilities, uh, research institutions, and government to be supporting uh, and sort of cultivating innovation, partnering with us to uh, build these test beds and create the opportunities to not just develop, but validate and implement solutions. Um, and then for folks that are interested in really helping to bridge the gap for these early stage innovations that need to be brought to market, we're actually now bringing to bear um, a seed fund that can be making these critical investments in early stage companies. And so that's a way we can also partner with private sector companies, but also philanthropy um, to be making sure that, um, you know, those key sensors and treatment technologies that can really help us address water quality issues aren't falling prey to uh, the, the, the valley of death between starting up with this technology and actually reaching market. So tying that back in with the citizen science group, then are you trying to um, improve the, the technology that these citizen scientist groups have access to? Because I, I know it used to be one of those things where you would have a, a little science kit with maybe some pH strips and some little chemical DO tests and those kind of things. But are, are you, is that one of your goals, I guess, to try and get um, some of the more standardized technological pieces into their hands to, to kind of make the playing field a little more level so that their data can be used? Absolutely. And I would say it's not just a priority of ours, but it's a priority of these groups. And I think, you know, it really depends where you are in the country, in the world, what kind of equipment these groups are using. But a lot of the groups across the Lake Erie region are using industry standard sensors to collect their data. Um, but one of the big pushes that we've made over the last year is to make sure that it's all of them. Um, and that's really what we mean when we say uh, we're standardizing data collection methods. We're bringing these groups into the 21st century to make sure that they're all using um, high quality water quality sensors uh, to be gathering their core monitoring data. Um, and we've been really fortunate to, uh, through some funds to support our broader testbed efforts uh, through the state of Ohio, to actually get a, a reservoir of sensors that we can be loaning out to these groups. And in exchange, they're contributing their data to this regional data set and trying to tell uh, a story at the regional level um, that hasn't been able to be told before. So if a group wanted to kind of do something similar to what you're doing and, and they're kind of starting from ground zero, what are some piece of the, pieces of advice that you might give to a, another group to so kind of get group, to where you are? <laughs> to get to where we are in terms of the, the volunteer science specifically or just this broader effort to, to catalyze like an innovation ecosystem? Let's say for the citizen science group in particular, for sure. So, I mean, I would say the first thing to do is really take stock of who is doing this work. Um, we could not have done anything close to what we've done. Um, and really this, uh, this, this effort probably would have fallen flat on its face if we tried to start organizing volunteers and setting up uh, sampling plans across the region. We were really able to do this because we partnered with groups that were already doing this work in a sustainable way in their communities. And we just brought to them the opportunity to talk to each other and convene at the regional level to try and work for greater collective impact. Um, and if you, if you do have that kind of network in place already in your region, um, I would say the key is really then, yeah, to bring those folks together and talk to them about what they see as, as collective impact. What, what would be a value add for them? Um, because it was really what we heard from these groups was we want to standardize our data collection efforts. We want to be serving up our data as, a, as an integrated set. 
And we want our volunteers to feel like they're part of something bigger than, you know, our local watershed, in addition to obviously having a role in protecting that, that critical resource. Um, so yeah, I would say leverage uh, for the folks that are already doing this work and create opportunities for them to connect and work together for greater collective impact. Um, the other piece is funding for sure. You know, anytime you can bring resources to the table with these volunteer groups that are so under-resourced, you can create the opportunity and the capacity to engage in these types of conversations. And I think it's, it's uh, maybe even a bit disingenuous to try and convene folks and, and ask them to put in more time uh, to, to be doing these things that are out of the scope of what they would normally do without being able to bring the resources to enable that capacity. And what does that support, that role of connector, look like when you're talking about um, these pilot projects and, and things that you're working on with the public sector, the government agencies and stuff? What are you able to bring that they might um, be challenged to achieve on their own? What it really comes down to, I think, is um, our network and the the trust that we've built in our collaborations. The idea that we put innovation and impact first and don't pick favorites in terms of who is our consultant or who is our technology partner or vendor in a given context. Um, you know, we have plenty of private sector sponsors of our individual programs and of our organization in general, um, but we don't let that uh, get in the way of making sure we're really looking towards the most impactful solution. Um, and so when we partner with government or we partner with utilities, it's about creating the context where new technologies can be tested um, in an unbiased way, usually not validated by us, but validated again by someone external with no bias um, to make sure that they're really meeting the need and, and creating a, a substantive solution. You know, asking folks to invest not just in those individual solutions, but in the infrastructure that allows us to make those comparisons, these kind of test bed uh, situations where we can uh, really validate uh, an innovation and, and understand what its impact can be. Yeah, because you talk about looking through the lens of opportunity, but my goodness, how do you prioritize? It's It's been an ongoing conversation internally because it's become increasingly important as we've grown in uh, in in uh, our name recognition, in our network, um, in our capacity. You know, uh, I've been with this organization now for five and a half years, and there have been times when it's just been uh, my executive director and myself uh, working with a number of collaborators on individual projects. Um, fortunately, now we have a staff of eight or nine folks, um, and so we're able to really uh, bring to bear a lot more capacity on this. But we do have to sort of walk this line between our full vision of, you know, cultivating this innovation ecosystem, uh, delivering solutions to communities that have impact and what we have the capacity to do now. So, you know, right, our one day we hope to have test bed situations where we can be testing uh, treatment solutions and solutions for residential and commercial water. Um, but right now what we have the most robust system set up for our surface water quality monitoring solutions. So that's what we want to be marketing to innovators as what we can take now. Um, so it's about, I guess, tailoring expectations as, as folks engage with us saying, here's what we can do now. Here's what we hope to do in the future. 
Um, but we always want to talk to new innovators because it helps us understand what do we need to be building the capacity to test for and where is the market going in terms of what types of solutions are available. There's definitely a lot more to do, and I don't want to make it sound like we know everything or we're doing everything. We're just uh, we're trying to understand and do some stuff. <laughs> I, I know for sure that you guys definitely aren't doing everything, but with all of this data that you have, I'm sure there's a, a huge backing of scientists that are kind of pulling this data together in a variety of different ways for whatever project it is that they're working on. So it's, it's still super important. Um, but do you know what some of those projects are that scientists might be, that researchers might be working on? Um, sure. You know, uh, there's been really great efforts across the, the Lake Erie region to develop uh, forecasting for harmful algal blooms. Um, you know, historically, that's been on just where the bloom will be, how much it will grow, um, when it will be present. But we're getting towards being able to predict with reasonable uh, accuracy toxicity and like how much actual environmental impact will there be? How much human health risk will there be? Um, and, you know, understanding at greater granularity, where are nutrients coming from? What are the practices or technologies that can help mitigate those impacts? What are the uh, solutions that can be implemented, like these constructed wetlands, uh, to try and mitigate those impacts? How effective are they? Um, you know, all of these things require data to fuel models, to uh, assess conditions before projects are put in, assess conditions after projects are put in, adaptively manage those projects. Um, all of that requires data to do intelligently and in a way that actually helps us understand what, what is being achieved, if anything, right? Like we want to know the impacts that are happening and um, be able to hopefully track towards that, that ultimate success of, of really addressing some of these challenges. It's definitely a challenge to make sure that we're not overextending um, to make sure that we're following where the opportunities are most ripe, um, but also keeping our finger on, a pul on the pulse as much as possible so we know where the opportunities will be five or 10 years down the road. And how are you sharing out or using the results of some of the research you're involved in? We do share openly any uh, testbed results that have, have come in. Um, and it kind of depends on uh, the approach to the project. So if we have an institutional supporter who has convened a challenge around, for example, the, um, the, the, the lead subsurface lead line identification, um, we have uh, not just Cleveland Water, but a coalition of local utilities that have expressed interest and, and put funding forward to um, try and identify these solutions. So in those cases, those are the groups that are going to get the first look at what's coming through. They're also going to be the groups that are helping us as the subject matter experts understand what success looks like and when solutions have been uh, really uncovered. Um, but ultimately, anything that comes out of that is something we want to be shared openly with the market and, and want to be available to anyone who is able to benefit from those solutions. So, Max, what are some of the opportunities and challenges of working with both public and private partners? That's a good question. You know, um, I think in a lot of cases, it's the, the disconnect between the two. You know, the public partners wanting to be um, more, needing to be more risk averse 
needing to be really oriented towards um, a regulatory performance and keeping systems safe and performing for communities. And then, you know, companies and researchers that are really trying to push the envelope with new solutions. And so we really hope that it's this approach of, of uh, innovation challenges and test bedding that allow us to prove the usefulness of new innovations in lower stakes environments that are agreed upon uh, by various stakeholders as, as proving test cases um, to be able to bridge that gap. But it continues to be a challenge for sure. Um, but it's it's the this is the way we think that solutions really ultimately take hold if we get a cross sector alignment around the need um, and then ultimately around the technology that can meet that need. Well, Kara, you probably see that tug that tug of war, right? And when you're out in the field working with folks on their applications, that balance between we know what we've done and what works, but we need things to work better. Yeah, I, I have definitely seen that. And that was kind of going to be my next question for Max was going to be, since you have worked with so many different customers and you know all the challenges in the region and, you know, you know what's out there as far as what, what companies have to offer and what they're developing right now. If you could dream up a new technology for the future, what what would that look like? Like, what would be your, your number one goal uh, that would be of most importance to you? Most important to me. Um, that's a that's a tough one for sure. Um, certainly for us as an organization, I would say um, this subsurface lead line detection, that's definitely a holy grail right now to find that technology would be incredibly impactful for communities across the Rust Belt um, to find, you know, a, a low cost or a reasonably priced in situ uh, phosphorus sensor another holy grail. That's something that, you know, our utility partners, our community partners, all of our partners really want to be able to monitor at high granularity. And that's really challenging right now. Um, and then, you know, one issue set that I haven't really spoken to yet is that not necessarily of water quality issues, but um, of water affordability. And this is really uh, an issue that's really salient here in Northeast Ohio and across the Lake Erie region, across the Great Lakes of, you know, the fact that utilities are ratepayer dependent um, in terms of uh, covering their infrastructure costs. And in a lot of cases, they have not seen the investment that is needed to maintain uh, infrastructure um, at the levels that our communities need. And it means that um, rates are increasingly becoming unaffordable um, and utilities are doing great work in terms of extending affordability programs to folks, trying to meet people where they are, um, but any sort of technologies that could help us, you know, whether it's an artificial intelligence application to help us identify who is at risk uh, um, to be shut off potentially, um, or, you know, any sort of significant cost technology that could produce significant cost savings for utilities to allow them to be able to then um, shift some more resources towards supporting um, some of our poorer residents. This is a really big issue. Um, in our region, for sure. I would say in general, you know, we just want to see more legislation as well that creates the context for innovation. You know, we want to see more requirements for what, what is needed uh, so that we can see the, 
treatment uh, solutions and the sensors developed because before uh, or until we have a legislative uh, hook that utilities or other community partners need to meet, um, you know, it's often difficult to identify the market for a solution, even if it could be tremendously impactful if implemented at scale. Um, so I would say our wish list certainly extends beyond just what are the technologies we want to see, but also what are the conditions that we could create in which, you know, technology adoption is really accelerated. Does Cleveland Water Alliance do legislative type work, like any kind of lobbying for new regulations or anything? Or is that outside of your scope? It's it's generally outside of our scope. Um, you know, for us, it's primarily engaging with elected leaders um, around just including innovation in their water resources investments. Um, you know, across the Great Lakes, there's tremendous investment in water conservation, um, but not necessarily uh, to scale investments in best available technology or in testing out new technologies that could have impact on water quality. Um, and so we try and make sure that when folks are prioritizing water, which we obviously want to support, that they're including innovation in that. Um, but, you know, there are so many great partners that are doing uh, the legislative work full time um, that it, it really is. Uh, it's something we want to stay plugged into. We want to stay supportive of, um, but our focus is really on the technology. So it sounds like you're really, really passionate about a lot of these different topics. <laughs> so how did you kind of get into this line of work? Um, myself personally, I, uh, I came to the, the region originally to attend undergraduate uh, at Oberlin College. I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri, a very similar city, but instead of a, a Great Lake, we have a really dirty river. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just really tremendously interested in getting engaged in Cleveland originally around environment and community development. And uh, this opportunity came up to work with Cleveland Water Alliance on our first innovation competition, Erie Hack, back in 2015, 2016. Um, and, uh, it's been a wild ride since then, but I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I'm glad for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm curious about the economic development piece too. You know, it sounds like you have plenty to do with the innovation and technology and public and private partners and the citizen science. And yet there's also this commitment to, finding opportunities for job development and economic growth, economic health. How does that factor in? Well, you know, in, in a lot of cases, it's sort of underpinning all the work in general. The, the, the genesis of the Water Alliance was actually a study that was trying to identify what is the sort of next cluster-based economic development opportunity for Northeast Ohio. It was sort of uh, leveraging the success of biotech in Northeast Ohio as an economic driver, um, something that brought together our research institutions, successfully cultivated kind of a startup culture and was able to grow business. Um, and this study identified that we had within this region a tremendous number of companies focused on water treatment, monitoring, transportation, et cetera. Um, and that there were research institutions that were starting to engage with this, but also that there are utilities, a whole nother type of anchor institution um, that biotech didn't necessarily have. Um, and so the idea that we are connecting these groups together into a functional innovation ecosystem is really centered around the idea that that will produce solutions that have impact, 
but also that that will produce solutions that have business potential. Um, and so we are looking at that more substantively in a, in a number of ways. Um, we're starting to talk or not starting to talk. We have been engaged with the city and the county to talk about what it would mean to center water resources and climate resilience as a business attraction proposition to the region. Um, but a lot of our work is just fundamentally around supporting the innovation agendas of our larger companies and facilitating the development of our smaller companies um, that are developing solutions. Um, so in those ways, you know, we're really trying to facilitate that economic development component. And is that the blue economy that you reference on your site? That's so interesting to consider. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, for us, a lot of that is the focus has been around the, the innovation technologies, those uh, kind of we call them like solution developers uh, within the blue economy. But when you start to talk about attraction, you can talk also about um, water users and the fact that water is such an essential industrial input for a whole host of processes and that continual reliable um, uh uh, access to fresh water is really uh, a tremendous asset for businesses. Um, and that, you know, through partnership with local utilities and, and community groups, we can ensure hopefully that, you know, any groups, businesses that relocate here for environmental resilience are being responsible stewards also of the environment. Um, but knowing that in a whole host of places across the country, in the coasts and in the south, these are access to water is increasingly unpredictable or um, can be a challenge in terms of uh, too much water and flooding and, and storms. And uh, here in the Great Lakes, while we're, we are certainly impacted by the effects of climate change, uh, the, the relative resilience is still certainly a, a proposition for businesses to come here. Yes, it's certainly something we tapped into here in northern Colorado with the uh, booming microbrewery and brewery industry and that we have this river that delivers this wonderful water right from the mountains and how important it is, what a lifeline it is, not just in the more traditional um, aspects of agriculture and municipal use, but also you know, for our industries here that we treasure and are a big part of our identity. Absolutely. Uh, so, Max, when it comes to working with these citizen scientists and this um, new equipment that you're kind of putting in their hands, what kind of training are, are you providing or how are they being trained on this new equipment? Yeah, absolutely. The way that we've approached this generally has been through a train-the-trainer model. Um, most of all of, I should say, all of the groups that we're partnering with have one or two paid staff that organize these volunteers and bring you know, in many cases, a significant degree of water quality expertise to the table. Um, and so these are the folks that have been responsible historically for training um, their volunteers in many cases, as I said, for over two decades. Um, and so with the technologies that we've piloted with these groups in the past, and now as we're getting to um, getting commercial sensors into their hands to just support their baseline monitoring efforts, um, we've really been fortunate to be able to partner with the technology providers that we work with to provide hands-on training to these folks. And this is, you know, it really started at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and so we've really refined the approach to uh, get folks the equipment, have it in their hands, and then do a Zoom training where the technology provider has the equipment in their hands. Folks can ask questions, interact with the technology, 
um, and actually, you know, perform calibration, take a test to make sure that they feel comfortable. And then beyond that, it's really just making sure that we can provide folks the reference material and training materials that they need to support uh, getting the getting their volunteers comfortable with them. And again, in the digital age, with having not just you know easily accessible PDFs, but educational videos, um, you know, it's really been much easier than we would have thought, although, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, just getting every all the elements into folks' hands was challenging. And now, you know, again, with uh, uh, supply chain issues, it can be challenging to source that base equipment. Um, but these groups are really capable of executing high quality training after learning a new technology um, pretty quickly. That's fantastic. And they really are filling a gap, it sounds like. Like some of this monitoring and data collection simply wouldn't happen without them. It's absolutely true. Um, you know, the states that we live in and really, you know, states across the country don't have unlimited budgets and um, they can only monitor so many uh, sites at such frequency. And these groups can monitor, you know, within their local watersheds tremendously more sites at tremendously higher frequency. And they are also, you know, very familiar with these environments, with these ecosystems that they inhabit um, and monitor year in, year out. Um, so they, they definitely are filling a gap that both local um, and state governments aren't able to fill. And we really hope to continue to work with these groups to elevate the credibility of their data and their connectivity to um, these state and, and, and local decision makers to ensure that, that the data is being used um, really to its fullest potential. You talk about, you know, innovation clusters and, and things like this. These are terms that are familiar. Would you say that Cleveland Water Alliance and its structure and its aims is unique? Is it um, patterned after other types of organizations? Um, are you breaking new ground here? I mean, I would say, you know, there's certainly other groups that uh, follow a similar model. Um Certainly, as you said, the idea of cluster-based development is not new. It's been tried and true in a variety of different industries. Um, and even, as I said, within water, we have our collaborators and, and uh, sort of counterparts across the country and across the world. Um, you know, there's, there's really incredible water-based cluster development in, in the Netherlands, um, in Singapore, um, we work closely with groups um, on the West Coast and um, in other places in the Great Lakes. So there are certainly other groups doing this kind of work. I would say, you know, it's certainly our bias perhaps, but our perception is that we're really doing it at the next level. And what, what differentiates us is this truly cluster-based approach, trying to engage not just with folks in the private sector, but engaging with government engaging with um, utilities and engaging with researchers um, to ensure that we're getting the wide range of feeders for innovation, but also the type of support that innovators need to have um, in order to bring their solutions to fruition. Mm -hmm. Well, being so close to this activity that is shaping the water future of your region um, and really beyond, um, what encourages you and what concerns you? Um, certainly, you know, seeing the increased focus on water and the valuation of water as 
and innovation opportunity. Um, I think that's changed even since my time with the Alliance. We used to have a lot more difficulty getting traction with decision makers and understanding the economic development potential um, in addition to, you know, the natural resource value of, of the Great Lakes. Um, I think that's been tremendously encouraging. Um, I think the increased focus on equity and justice is something that's really encouraging. Um, you know, it's a deep set of issues across, you know, our whole society, but um, it manifests in very specific ways in water. Um, and I think I, I'm encouraged also by the humility with which folks approach these questions. I think we in the technology world have to be careful about saying that technology is going to solve anything that is dependent on systemic issues. Um, but thinking about how technology can have a role in mitigating them or empowering communities or um, uh, community decision makers to be trying to address those issues, I think that's absolutely critical. Um, yeah, I think the thing that concerns me perhaps is just ensuring that, you know, where we're able to make these investments and implement these solutions doesn't exacerbate those types of um, systemic inequalities and making sure that as much as possible, which can be challenging in our society, you know, folks are benefiting across the board from improvements to our water resources and our approach to managing them. Sure. Well, this is fascinating because typically we've got our heads down in the technology and the monitoring, you know, the nuts and bolts of it all. So to get this larger, broader perspective is terrific. Thank you for your time and for sharing what you did today about Cleveland Water Alliance. For sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's been, been great to talk with y'all. This is Aquapod, brought to you by In-Situ. You can find more episodes and subscribe to the podcast on our website, insitu.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please listen, share, and help us spread the word. This episode was produced by Helen Taylor, Carrie Caslow, and Lauren Ryan, with a big assist from Josiah Homeland and Versa Studio in beautiful Colorado. We look forward to bringing you more water monitoring stories from the field, and until then, take care out there.